The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Thanks, guys. A great start. God is glorified in the sharing of Joey. Um, wow. So much going on and such a privilege to be a part of that. God is glorified. Jesus prays. Go ahead and actually open your Bibles to John 17. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5, that first section of Jesus' high priestly prayer, where he prays, he prays uh, to be glorified, to be glorified in the cross, to be glorified in his return to heaven. And he prays to be glorified in the church. I want to focus, I want to consider these ways in which Jesus is glorified. What it means to glorify. So let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your many blessings. Help us not to take them for granted. Help us to to better know you in the many ways that you've been so good to us. Lord, help us to not only be mindful of you, but to grow in our love for you, to be intentional each day, pointing others to you, communicating with our very lives that you are beautiful. You are wonderful. You are worthy of our praise. Please bless our time Continue to bless our time together as we consider your word and our response to its truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John 17, verses 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is God's word. As Jesus approaches the cross, he has glory on his mind. He prays for his glorification in the cross, his glorification in heaven, and for his glorification in the church. And we use this word Glory, but do we know what it means? Maybe you've heard the confession that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Or one of my favorite verses, I love uh, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So we have a sense that we, that we can And we should live in a way that glorifies or somehow points to God. 
The way we live should make him look good. And yet, as soon as I say that, there's a a sense of caution because we might think that God needs our help, our our fixer-upper kind of help, and that would be blasphemous. So there must be a right way and a wrong way for us to think about glorifying. When we read Jesus' prayer, we might notice a heavenly glory and an earthly glory. Jesus prays that his work here on earth would bring him glory. But then he prays for a return to a heavenly glory, a glory he apparently gave up or didn't hold on to in becoming a man. So there must be some different ways for us to understand this idea of glory. I want to begin with one sense of glory, uh, ripping off um, one of my favorite illustrations by John Piper, one that's stuck with me over the years and been helpful to me, where he points out that the, there are, there's a similarity between the word glory, glorify, and magnify. And when we magnify an object, we do so either with a microscope or a telescope. With a microscope, we magnify something really tiny. Look through the microscope and we make that tiny object appear bigger than it actually is. And applying that to God, that would be blasphemous. That would be like that fixer-upper kind of idea. But a right illustration for us to think of with the idea of glorifying God is to glorify or magnify him like like a telescope magnifies. A, A telescope points to some object in the sky that to the naked eye appears really tiny and maybe insignificant. And then we look through this telescope and we see it for um, what it truly is or, or a better idea of its, of its beauty and how massive it truly is to understand the object as, as impressive. So taking that illustration, Piper says that Our lives need to be like telescopes. Telescopes for God. That people tend to ignore God. Or take him for granted. Or not even think of him. Or think little of him. Um, But when they see through us, when they look at God through us, and we magnify him, Hopefully they get a better idea of who he really is, how impressive and powerful and beautiful and majestic he is. I like this illustration because, for one, it gives purpose to our sufferings. As people look through us, through our reactions, when we react in love and trust to God that communicates something about God. It communicates that he is a, he's a greater treasure than even whatever I'm losing or whatever I'm suffering. Uh, just a couple of days ago, Pastor Bill and Pastor Dale and I had the privilege to go over to Tom and Roxy Michael's home and, and pray. Uh, Roxy's been battling cancer for some time and recently dealing with some really painful circumstances related to that. And 
we had this privilege of talking with them, hearing Roxy and Tom's reaction to this, their suffering that she's enduring, and instead of being angry at God for the pain, what we heard was, we're blessed. God has been faithful to us. Wow. That's glorifying to God. That's an opinion of God that speaks truth over years with eternity in mind. That simple statement works like a, like a telescope to communicate something wonderful about God and that he's good. We can trust him too. What an encouragement that was. Let's think some more about this word glory. It has a bit of a history, as many words do. Its meaning will uh, change over time. The Greek word for glory is doxa. Doxa, which means to seem, to appear, to have an opinion. So opinion's kind of a, a key aspect of doxa. What one thinks. So this is central to its meaning. And from this we see some English words like orthodox and heterodox and paradox. Having to do with opinion. And as time went on, doxa or glory meant more than than a mere opinion, but more specifically a good opinion. Or something that merits a good opinion. And so this word could rightly be translated as praise and honor and reputation, renown. And so when speaking of a king, there was an ultimate sense of praise. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, the Lord almighty. He is the king of glory. And in this psalm, we see that glory is linked to attributes. The king of glory is perfect in all of his attributes. He is omnipotent. He is almighty. He is love. He is truth and holiness. He is immutable, gracious. The list goes on. So in this first section of Jesus' high priestly prayer, he prays for himself. And the cross, heaven, and the church are like telescopes. They bring about a good opinion, praise, honor. They magnify, they communicate attributes of God to the world. Jesus prays for his glory, for the sake of the Father's glory, because after all, is there any better communication of the Father than the Son? They are one. Perfectly one. Second Corinthians 4, 6 tells us that God enlightened our hearts, that he gave us the light of the knowledge of his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate telescope. We see, we know God through Jesus. And yes, there are other telescopes. Creation itself is a telescope. It speaks truth about God. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Paul in Romans 1 tells us that 
God has made himself known to man that his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. God also used the telescope of of miracles and manifestations, pillar of fire, pillar of cloud, prophets who spoke his word. But ultimately, Hebrews tells us in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And all throughout history, there has been a display of God's glory. People get a glimpse of God's glory through, through these manifestations, through a burning bush, through a, a parting of a, of a sea. And the most complete revelation of God's glory is the Word made flesh. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And now he prays for his glory, for the sake of God's glory. And he can do this because the Father and the Son are perfectly one. In verse 4, Jesus recognizes that that he's already revealed God's worth by accomplishing the the perfect work that he's given him to do, this sinless life, perfect obedience to God's law. His very life tells us that God is the epitome of compassion and patience, love and mercy, righteous anger at injustice, He provides, he protects. Jesus shows us that God is all of these and more. And now as he lifts up his eyes to heaven, he's mindful that he will be lifted up from the earth on a cross. And he prays that this will glorify that this will give a good opinion, that this will reveal the praiseworthiness of God. So what do we learn? What do we see about the Father through the lens of the cross of Christ? Apparently, we see God really hates sin. God is just. And he will not compromise by winking at sin and sweeping it under the carpet. God is holy. He forsakes the condemned sinner. His goodness and blessing is removed from them. Only his wrath remains. And this is what Jesus experienced for those he came to save. And so God is perfect. His justice, his holiness, that he forsook his own son who became sin for us. He poured out his wrath on him because he is righteous in all of his judgments. And that he sent his son to bear the punishment that we deserve. We see, we see amazing grace. We see an undeserved love. A God who did not have to make a way for us chose to sacrifice. 
We see mercy and forgiveness, sacrifice and generosity at the cross. The cross glorifies the Father. I like what Kent Hughes said. If Jesus had stopped short of the cross, that would have proved there is a degree of love to which God is not prepared to go for us. The cross proves there is no limit to God's love. No limit. I uh, imagine we all have limits. Would you give your own child, even if you knew there would be a resurrection, would you... Would you give your child to be wrongly accused, publicly shamed, cursed and covered with spit, having the ugliness of the world's sin put upon him as he gasps for his final breath in order to save those who actually deserve it? In light of such glory, who are we to question God? Who are we to be frustrated with God and disobey God and not believe his good promises to us? There's no greater telescope than the cross of Christ. It is the ultimate communication of who God is. And then Jesus prays something mysterious. He prays in verse 5, Glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. It's mysterious because we've never seen anything like this before. But one day we will. When the Son came to earth and was born as a true human being, there was a sense of glory that he retained because he didn't cease to be divine. And he perfectly revealed the Father's character. But there was also a kind of glory that he had with the Father before the incarnation that he now prays will once again be his. In Philippians 2, we read that though he was in the form of God, he, Jesus, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men. The Son of God did not hold on to this heavenly glory. He did not, he didn't cease to be God, but in some way he emptied himself. And I like to think of this emptying of himself not by subtraction, but by addition. He emptied himself by addition. He added human flesh, a human nature that veiled his heavenly glory. The glory Jesus retained was was the essential character of God. But there's another meaning for this word glory. In Jewish thought, glory involved light. A radiant display of light so brilliant that Man cannot look upon it. And so we read in the Psalms references to the light of his face or being clothed with splendor and majesty, wrapping himself with light as with a garment. Incredible. Moses, remember, put on a veil to hide his shiny face because 
There was a transfer of God's being in the very presence of God. Made his face shine. This light, this kind of glory that it took on the name Shekinah. Shekinah glory. Before the incarnation, the Son of God possessed both the inward fullness of God's attributes and character and the outward fullness of God's visible glory. Jesus prays in verse 5 for this outward heavenly display of glory when he returns to the Father. And I imagine Peter, James, and John got a glimpse of this glory when they saw Jesus transfigured. When he became, when his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And one day, One day, we're going to see Jesus in all his glory. And it will be so great that we will be transformed by it. Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13 that now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And in his first epistle, the apostle John writes, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we will see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. There's something, there's something wonderful about the connection between between these two kinds of glory. One glory leads to the other. And we get a hint of it in Philippians 2. Uh, Philippians 2. Therefore, or, or because Jesus humbled himself, because of his earthly life, therefore God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Son of God is, think of this, the Son of God is eternal, existed before the incarnation. He is God. He existed before his birth, but... A name was given to him at his birth. And from that point on, he is forever Jesus. Forever the one who lived the perfect human life. Forever the one who willingly died and rose again. Forever in a glorified human body with scars that beautifully communicate God's love. And we're going to see this. God is perfect. And so he, he, cannot be, he cannot be more glorious. But from our perspective, we see a greater glory because of the cross. Because there is a connection of, a, of an earthly life to a heavenly display. And we won't, (laughs) Hmm. in a lesser way, won't we 
experience two kinds of glories ourselves, an earthly and a heavenly one? Isn't this what 2 Corinthians 4 has in mind when it says that we have this this treasure in jars of clay, that though afflicted and perplexed, persecuted and struck down, we carry the glory of Jesus with us in his death and resurrection. And because of this, this glorious gospel, we do not lose heart. The glory of Christ extends to us and we live for his glory, communicating his grace to more and more people so that there may be thanksgiving, so that there might be glory given to God. Like Jesus, our earthly lives are meant to give a good opinion of God. And this results in a heavenly glory. And I don't know if this means we're going to be really shiny someday, but certainly there's there's something glorious going on when we're told that our current light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What is that going to be? Glorious. How we live here and now as telescopes for God in earthly lives that will always include suffering, this will lead to an eternal weight of glory. Like Jesus, our heavenly glory is connected to our earthly glory. And knowing this, Jesus prays for the glory of his church. Jesus gives eternal life to the people of God so that we might be blessed in in knowing the only true God. And then Jesus prays in verse 10 that he would be glorified in us. As Jesus glorifies the Father, we glorify the Son. Once again, Kent Hughes writes that if the manifestation of Christ's glory was left only to the heavens and to the cross we would be greatly disadvantaged because neither of these are perfectly accessible due to time and space. In other words, God gave another telescope in the church to continue on throughout history. In his church, there is a continued glorification here on earth. The glory of heaven came in the person of Christ and because of his redeeming love, And the gift of his spirit, this glory continues through you, through us, through his Christ's body here on earth. So if we are to give people a a good and right opinion of God, if we are to truly glorify him, we must know him. Jesus says in verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
So if we're truly glorifying God, if we really do show people his worth, then obviously we must know him. And at minimum, this means that we know something about him. And God reveals himself to us in his word. People who call themselves Christians say all sorts of things about God that are not true. You hear it all the time. Misrepresenting God's holiness. A wrong opinion or view of grace and how it relates to them. Assuming that God's just going to compromise justice because they believe that they're not as bad as other people. Or what matters in God's mind is that you try really hard. Saying all sorts of untrue things about God. Believing that God maybe just puts the earth in motion, winding it up like a clock and having nothing to do with the details of your life. Believing that there are other ways to God. Believing that God's moral commands are cultural and so we can redefine sexual purity and marriage. All sorts of things that wrongly, that misrepresent God. And so... There are either a bunch of ignorant Christians or a lot of people who think they know God and will one day hear, depart from me. I never knew you. Eternal life is knowing God. And thankfully, God's spirit is our helper who teaches us through God's word. Thankfully, God does not only save us as as individuals, but he saves us into a body, a church that is his idea, not man's, that he equips with various roles and responsibilities and gifts so that we might grow in our relationship with him. And so to neglect being a part of a church is to neglect God's wisdom and purpose and gifts to us. We must read our Bibles and talk with God through Prayer and be a part of his family, equipped, equipped to live in such a way that, that, that communicates his greatness, truth. This is what Jesus desired in his prayer for us. Then instead of shaking our fists at God and saying, why me, I've served you. Followed you all these years and now I have cancer. Now I have ALS. Now my loved one is suffering. Instead of this, if we truly know God, Jesus prays that we'll know God. And in knowing who he is, his holiness and justice, his mercy and grace and kindness, that in truly knowing this, we... Give people a right opinion that says, no matter what, God is good. He is faithful. He has blessed me. This is what Jesus prayed. This is what he prayed that that he would be glorified in us. And this kind of God-glorifying response doesn't simply come from knowing some biblical facts, as if God were a bug under a microscope that we only study. No, eternal life is knowing God, which means that we have a relationship with him. 
biblically speaking, to know is a term of intimacy. When the Bible says that a man knew his wife, it's not saying that he can pick her out of a crowd or tell you some history about her. Knowing speaks of oneness, intimacy, a deep relationship. And because he has called us to himself, we are blessed to see and truly know him in his word. And we're, we're changed. Changed to the point of rightly glorifying him. And this really is our priority here as a church. To know, to continue growing in a right knowledge of God. It's why we love God's word. It's critical. Absolute truth concerning God and our relationship with him. Knowing God through Jesus changes everything. Knowing God means that we love him. And so we love what he loves. It means that we desire the unity of the church because he is one. And so this should cause us to be patient with one another, forgiving, humbly serving one another. It means that we prioritize the body of Christ, that we function like a family, that we give financially, supporting not only what we do here each week, but for the joy of supporting what we just heard. Wow. Supporting ministries. Ministries that allow people to see how wonderful Jesus is. What a blessing. That we... We can be a part of telescopes in Thailand and Turkey and Malawi and South Africa and Colombia, Nicaragua, Brazil and Jordan. Wow. What a privilege. And then here in Medford, ministries like Wilderness Trails that shine the light of Jesus for children or the Medford Gospel Mission or the Pregnancy Center. Your part in the body of Christ matters. Your, I know at times, it just seems so small at times, doesn't it? Your seemingly small acts of kindness, your service, your encouragement, your participation, your singing, your hospitality, your prayers, your generous giving. All of it is infinitely more, it's infinitely more than if another group, some club, some religion, or a compassionate group of atheists, if they did these very same things, it would not matter. It would not matter because they would not work for an eternal weight of glory because the object, the person that they point to is not Jesus. And so these very same acts of kindness done by the church, they last. They're different because they're done to glorify Christ, who alone is worthy of our everlasting praise.
Let's pray. Oh, Father, we love your church, not because we're special in and of ourselves, not because there's just some really generous and nice people here, and yet there are. But we love this church because you have loved us. And the church is your idea. You established it. You, Jesus, even prayed for it. And so we love what you have lovingly designed for your glory. And oh, what an amazing realization that we might be connected to the Tells in Thailand. That we're so blessed to have a part in their God-glorifying work. Lord, we ask that you would that you would encourage and strengthen them for this ongoing work. It sounds really hard seeing the kinds of suffering that they see. Lord, give them encouragement and purpose and strength. Give them joy. Give them refreshment as they visit family and friends, very supporters in the states. Lord, we pray for your glory. As people affected by disability are given a wonderful glimpse of your love and your compassion. Make this clear to many. Help us to give even more in our prayers and finances. Please encourage this dear family through Bear Creek Church and others who generously support them. Father, we thank you for your grace in choosing to have mercy on us, giving us to your Son who has welcomed us, who has given himself so that we might know you, so that we might love you, and by your Spirit live lives that tell others how wonderful you are. Oh, we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.